So what just happened at baptism? We're told in this passage that John read for us that uh, two girls from Tehran who came to Belfast have been buried with him and raised with him. It's a symbol of new life in him. And if you read Colossians 1 and 2, in him seems to appear throughout. In him, with him. But as they come this morning to find this new life in this symbol of what they've already experienced in their life, we discover that it's not what one commentator said this week about the up-and-coming royal wedding. For William and Kate, the girl next door, I'm not living next door, dear, but one commentator said, a royal commentator, they get these royal commentators that come in at moments like this, they said, oh, we thought it was a love story without any end, but now at last the end is in sight. <laughs> Take that whatever way you will. But what he seemed to be suggesting without being prophetic, <laughs> hopefully not, was that here we've got to the end, they're getting married. Phew, that's it. Now, some of us are married. And bless them, but if they think that's the end, they have a whole other world coming. But marriage, I guess, for William and Kate, when they come wherever they come to take the vows, whatever they take, is only a symbol of the love that they already know within their lives. And that that marriage takes them on to a new identity and into a new place for both of them. Not the end, but the beginning. And so for Armachan and Elham, here they come to a new beginning. But it's only the beginning, not the end. And we hope to watch as that story unfolds. It's a phrase that has been maligned across the world, born again. But it's a wonderful phrase in its purity. The possibility of new start. The possibility that you can just write a whole new future. Born again. I remember when Caitlin was born and looking at that new life and thinking, everything's possible. No regrets. She could be anything. So I quickly got myself to the 2018 Olympics and thought, 400 meters, 800 meters? If she wanted it, the, no, the 2016. If she wanted it, the 2016, could, could, is it the two? Anyway, I worked out, could she win five like Redgrave? Is that possible? And this is all just moments after she's been born. <laughs> Can I assure you at 12, she, nah. That's not the Olympic title she will win. She will be genius whatever God has called her to be, but daddy's five gold medals is long gone in my dreams. But it's that possibility. Anything is possible. It's a new start. And that's what the girls have this morning. But... And I think this is one of my critiques against Northern Ireland evangelicalism. 
We are so tied up in the born again that we don't realize that we need to grow up again. Many churches and many of my peers and others in the ministry who have told me if their sermon on a Sunday doesn't always say you must be born again, turn or burn, that they might get sacked from the church. Because we have a a whole country of people caught up in the moment of birth rather than what happens after that. I mean, it was the Jubilee with Caitlin. It was the Royal with Jasmine. But there in the Jubilee, everything was right, you know. We had nurses on hand. We had uh, people who could have maybe sorted out if anything had gone wrong. It would have been a great place to keep her. You know, there, everybody, you know, safe in there. Well, anyway, there's too many medics in the house for me to get into that discussion, but safe in there. Be a good place, just, you know, you're born, but, you know, don't move too far, don't get out into the big bad world out there, and we could just keep you smothered in all the cocoon you hear. But that's not what it was about. We weren't born to stay in the maternity ward. We were born to grow up. And so as Keith has prayed, we are the nurturing, growing up family for the girls to find what it is to believe these things in the messy, tainted, twisted world that we're called to live in at this time. But what was interesting when I went back to the chapter on baptism was just a few verses before it, girls, that I I, I think are marvelous. Because there in verse 6 it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, as we have done here and as you've done before, this symbol of that, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. What happened today, girls, is in Jesus you have found this forgiveness. In Christ, you've been given this new life. And now we want you to, rooted in that and established in that, begin to move out and grow in that faith. And if we went back to chapter 1, this is really, it gets me excited when I thought about this. In chapter 1, there's this wonderful almost hymn about the world being made in Christ. Nothing in the world that holds together holds together without Christ. It's like the universe is held together in Christ. And now we're saying that two girls from Tehran can find that they're in Christ the way the universe is held together in Christ. I remember as a 17-year-old, I was off um, on a girls' brigade uh, outing. And uh, the youth club had gone to join the girls' brigade who were on a weekend away, and the youth club had gone on the Saturday night, and we were coming back into Ballymena and uh, from Portrush, and I was in the back of a minibus, and I was looking out at the stars, and I was saying to myself, okay, Stockman, you've got to decide here. Could there be a designer behind this? Or did it just all fall into place? And if there is a designer behind this, Is it possible that the designer who holds it all together would be interested in you? And that was the night when I decided, 
Yes. The God that holds the universe together in chapter 1 wants us to root our lives in him in chapter 2. The universe and history are all connected with us. Wow. So that's what we've got ourselves into, girls. We've got ourselves to a place where you are now heirs of God. You are children of God. You can call him Abba. He wants to be involved somehow in all the aspects of your lives. And we need to root ourselves in him. It's interesting, I started then reading around these words in Colossae and what was going on in the community that this letter was written to. And, and you find, interestingly, without, you know, you can read these and you don't think, oh, who were these people? And it's an interesting thing because the, the Christians who were meeting here that Paul's writing to, they were a minority at every point of the, because they, some of them probably come out of a Jewish tradition, but the Jews would have seen them as heretics. Oh, they've come up with some new sect. So the Jews around them would have been saying heretics. They would have been ousting them as heretics. But the Gentiles around them who were worshipping the emperor in the empire would also have seen them as a bit of a threat to the empire because they weren't giving their allegiance to the emperor. They were giving their allegiance to some other god and king. So these folks are living in a world where they're really a minority, finding pressure coming on their beliefs from everywhere else. And is this why Paul says to them, get firmly established? Get yourselves good foundations in Jesus. And what did he mean by that? Well, one of the commentaries that I was looking at, interestingly, takes us back, if I mark this, I did. Oh, amazing. Um, uh, took us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, for those who um, have been around the the Christian thing for a long time. Uh, well, let, let me put it in just some of the context. What this commentary was saying is that the, the history of the world is in six sort of parts, the drama of world history, six acts. God creates, act one. Man goes his own way, her own way, we fall in act two. Then God meets with this people and begins to tell a story through Abraham, right through the Old Testament, going out of slavery into a promised land, going off to Babylon, all these books and histories and stories, Act 3. All of that, Act 3, pointing to what Act 4 is going to be, which is the Jesus that we root ourselves in, being born and living, God becoming human. We had a, a lovely moment on Wednesday night at our new members group where Armin was asking me just some trivial little questions. He asked me to the incarnation and the Trinity. There's two good questions for a Wednesday night. We had a really good time wrestling with those. But when it came to that incarnation idea, it's a really good question that sometimes we don't think about a lot. And so I was thinking, you know, the Old Testament is gearing towards this moment of incarnation. What happens there? And I was trying to sort of say if I, in some kind of... Uh, feeble way, I think I was trying to answer it, where I was saying, God doesn't give us the full God picture because we have little human minds. 
So he reveals himself to us in different ways to give us little hints, I guess, big hints. But they're hints all the same. If you think of the Bible, if you think of all the people that saw God, they go, it was like, it was as if, it was like. They don't say it was. They were trying to find human ways to talk about divine things. Uh, momentary ways to say things about eternity. We can't grasp it. So God wants to communicate with us and reveal himself to us, but we're mortal. Even the intelligent people that we have here this morning with all our brains, we couldn't quite get ourselves together with that whole idea of what God's really like. So I was sharing a story I think I might have shared with the children last Christmas of the way I saw this. And it came from Hal Lindsay. So it means you should have light from all quarter, but, uh, um, and you can't find light in all quarter. I think in one of his books, Liberation of Planet Earth, he tells that story and it's probably not um, fresh with him. But it's the story of the anthill. And I always do it with children, but I think it's good to do with adults. The, the, the man who loves ants. Uh, can you love ants? Was it Alan Gaston said he sat on an ant sort of thing this week on Facebook. That's one of our uh, overseas personnel to use the terminology we're trying to use. Um, but if, if you do like ants and you get, you drive a digger and your digger's going to come down upon the ants, you're in a bit of a dilemma. And you get out of your truck and you try to shoo them away. You know, ants, go on, move. Digger, ants, splat. But the ants aren't moving because they've no idea what on earth human intelligence is about or communications about so they're just going on their own business and you're thinking ah, I need to become an ant if I could become an ant I could warn them but no you couldn't because if you became an ant you wouldn't know what a JCB was either so in order to get into their world and model something for them you need to be an ant and a human, then you'd be able to give them hints. Now, you still, I don't think, would be able to explain to an ant in all its fullness the mechanics of a digger. But you would have enough clues or hints in that form of incarnation to be able to lead them or guide them in a safer way, I guess. Act four, Jesus becomes human. Part of the story. Act five, he creates the church. And that's the act we're in. Still writing it. Some messy stories. Some glorious stories. But it's act five. And we're waiting for this act six when everything will be brought to its fulfillment and the kingdom will come in in all its fullness. But here we are in act five. And what we're really thinking about here is, in Christ, we need to embed ourselves in that story, saturate ourselves in that story, so that we will have the resources in him to creatively and imaginatively write Act 5 as it unfolds with his help. So, I was telling you about Deuteronomy 6. That's what the children of Israel did. Jesus said to them in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, our first, uh, let me take it from verse 
Uh, four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. They were told to root themselves, establish themselves in the story of the past that was going to lead them in the next part of the journey. So for the girls this morning, these symbols are the story of life and death and resurrection of Christ and of themselves. And in this story, established in this story, we will pray that they will be nurtured as they move on in their spiritual lives, born again to grow up again. And us, we need to saturate ourselves in the story of Jesus, the central character in the entire play. Because there's no blueprint in places for what happens in 2010. Much as these scriptures are a revelation of God, there's no blueprint. There's decisions we're going to have to make that the first century Christians didn't have to make. But if we saturate and root ourselves and strengthen ourselves, established in the story, we can move on. So we're not so fixed in the story that we do things the way it was done in first century Palestine, no matter how the world has changed. No, we've got to creatively take this story and move on, as the children of Israel did from Deuteronomy 6 and all that was ahead of them. Firmly established, but moving. Rooted, but growing in the story that is our story. Tonight we'll be looking at carrying stories and songs. And I think that is so crucial to the church. We, last night, it's not the best preparation for a Sunday morning. Took the invitation of our neighbor and went next door for a lovely dinner party. It was very lovely. But at 10 to 2, <laughs> I do think that Alex Ferguson would have me, I would have been on the bench this morning if he'd known that I get in at 10 to 2. But it was an amazing night of conversation. And we got into a conversation with a couple of friends who are believers in the midst of it, and we were talking about the catechism the difficulty of teaching the old catechism. And I was saying, songs catechize. Stories catechize. How do you want to teach theology and story in this generation? Bring it into the songs. I was coming home from Balamina yesterday and Mumford and Sons were on with that amazing theology that grace is not the end of the journey, but the welcome at the restart. And there on the radio, I thought, if I can give that song into the lives of our congregation, if we sang that every morning, we would have theology, rooted in theology, taking us in to the rest of the time. Because here's how I'm going to end. The world doesn't have a story. They've left religion. They've left the church. There's no story. They don't have a past. There's not a past that they can look back on and say, that's our past. 
and they don't have a future because the recession's kicking in, nobody has jobs, they're trying to work out what job to change to before that job goes and they have to change again. And so really, drink and be merry for tomorrow. In the nihilistic, futile world of that. But we have a story. It's a story that goes back to creation. It's a story that comes through this people into the life of Jesus that goes out to the ends of the earth, whether it's in Iran or Belfast or France or uh, America or all Canada or all the places we can think about that are even gathered in this little body of believers today. We are in a story. We have a past. We have a future. And I think the scriptures here in Colossians is saying, root yourself in the story of Jesus and where he is in that whole story of the Bible. And from that, let's see what's next in Fitzroy, in Belfast, and in the world that we live in. Let's continue to grow up again, firmly established, but creatively and imaginatively ready to move. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that when we come back to some of the basics of baptism and that testimony we so enjoyed earlier on that it makes us think about our own lives and uh, our lives as a fellowship. And so we pray that you would show us, as Paul was writing to these Colossians, the importance of Jesus being the center the stories that he told, the story of how he responded to neighbors and enemies, the way he dealt with religion and the way he freed people from all kinds of things, for the way he went to the marginalized and the destitute, for the way he went to Zacchaeus' house and the, all the different people, the story of God become flesh. May we root our lives in this story of life of death and resurrection, may we find ourselves connected in Jesus with the universe and the history of time. And may you, from that a firmly established story, saturating ourselves in that Christ, lead us and guide us by your Spirit into this part of the drama so that we can serve you and serve others. As we often pray, give us a holiness that does not feed our own self-righteousness, but a holiness that feeds the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.